There you go. We have launched a new sermon series entitled Not of This World, and it's obvious our tech director loves Star Wars. Did you notice that? Uh, good job on that, Ben. I love that. Not of this world. We're preaching verse by verse to the book of 1 John for the next few weeks. Open your Bibles to 1 John. Let's talk about the ways in which we've been set apart. John has a lot to say about what it means to belong, how you know that you belong to the Lord, and much of that has to do with how you realize that you do not belong to this world. How are we set apart? What makes us different? I would say this, first off, you got to make this clear. We're sinners just like everybody else, but we're forgiven. It's forgiveness that makes the difference. It's the gospel that brings forgiveness. It's Jesus' the sacrifice that brings forgiveness, and that's what sets us apart. And that's the message we have for everybody else. This forgiveness is for everybody. One day, a uh, pastor got a call from the funeral home director. They were buddies, small town. Um, asked the pastor if he'd be willing to preach a funeral graveside service the next day. Funeral director just said, there's no family involved at all. May not even be anybody present at the funeral, but just thought maybe the pastor would come into a graveside simple service. And the pastor said, of course I will. Who's the deceased? What's the person's name? And the funeral home director said, well, I think it's somebody you probably know. Um, turns out it was the, the drag queen in town. It was a woman who performed in local clubs as a woman uh, called himself Cherry Delight, I think. Um, he had died, no family, and so the pastor said, of course, I'll come and I'll do that funeral. So he arrived the next day at the cemetery, and there were actually a few people there, just a handful of men in town that were known to be gay, just young gay men who were there around that graveside. And the pastor greeted them warmly, introduced himself, and then uh, preached the service. He just preached a short graveside service and then uh, had a prayer, said amen, and turned to walk away. But when he turned, none of the men moved. All those young men just stood there staring into that empty grave, just staring into it, um, and they didn't move. A pastor came back and said, friends, as far as I'm concerned, this service is over, uh, so you, you can just be dismissed. And one of the guys looked up, and they really hadn't said much to the pastor at all up to this point, but one of them looked up and said, I thought they always read the 23rd Psalm at funerals. Would, would you read that before you go? Pastor says, sure. So he opened his Bible to the 23rd Psalm and he read, The Lord is my shepherd, I son not one. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He read the whole Psalm. And when he was finished, one of the other men said, I really like that verse that starts out, Let not your hearts be troubled. Could you read that? Would you find that and read that? She said, sure. So he turned to John chapter 14 and he read, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. Read the whole passage. One of the guys said, isn't there something in there about the Holy Spirit being like the wind, like God is like the wind, and you don't know where he comes from and where he goes? And the pastor opened his Bible to John 3 and read Jesus' words to Nicodemus, uh, how the spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And when the guy said, I've always liked that verse that talks about how nothing can separate us from God's love. Would you read that? Pastor turned to Romans chapter 8 where it says, 
No, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And it just went on like that for a while. And then finally the pastor was back in his car and he was overwhelmed with that realization that these young men were hungry for God's word. They were longing to hear God's word. But the pastor also realized that the chances are, are low that they would ever come into his church and hear those words. They were probably never going to hear God's word in, inside his church, and it broke his heart. Now, now, why is that? I'm talking about another pastor, another town, another church, but I'm afraid the same thing is probably true for us. Something about the way we gather, there's something about us that, that makes sinners, let's just say, want to stay away. And I don't understand that on the one hand because, as I just said, the gospel message is the gospel of forgiveness. It's, it's the best news of all. So it's not about the gospel. It's not about Jesus. It must be something about us. I think it's something about the way we gather. I think it's the way, even though we all say we're sinners, we come up in this place and act like we're not. I mean, when we're all together, we put on a face. I mean, you may have cussed your way all the way to church, but when you walk through those doors, you are a different person. And your family sees that. Your family sees that. They know how you are, and, and this is what I'm saying. We're one way at church and another way in other places. You have one vocabulary for church and another vocabulary for the golf course. We're just... We, we live these lives, but when we get into church, we, we act like we don't sin. We act like we have no problems. And so when the world hears us preaching the gospel, what they hear is this message of judgment and sin, but they never really hear the gospel of forgiveness because that's the part of the gospel that even you and I don't walk in very well. It's really hard to uh, receive forgiveness until you are Honest enough to admit your sin, and most of us don't ever really admit any sin. Which brings us to 1 John chapter 1. If you're going to know forgiveness, and you're going to have to be honest about sin. And God wants you to know forgiveness. So let's open up. 1 John chapter 1. Read all of chapter 1 and the first couple of verses of chapter 2 today. By the time we finish this series, we'll have read every single word of the book of 1 John. Let's read together. 1 John chapter 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that you may fully share our joy. Verse 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on walking in darkness. 
We're not practicing the truth. But, but if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not walking in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Oh, I love it so much. Um, well, to unpack all of that, for all of us to receive everything that's in those verses with the time we have would just be impossible. You've got to hear this. You've got to understand. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is light, the scripture says, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if you're going to walk in the light as he is in the light, See, that's, that's the part that troubles me because I know that I still have so much darkness in me where there ought to be light. I know Jesus, I'm a believer, just like I know that you know Jesus and most of you are believers, but you have to recognize there is darkness in you where there ought to be light. We're still sinners. We're sinners just like everybody else. We're not different in, in that somehow we don't sin anymore. We're guilty of the very same things we judge other people for, and this is wrong. It's wrong for us to walk in here and act like we don't have sin because therefore people don't see the gospel as it's lived out in real lives, lives like yours and mine, where we're sinners but we recognize forgiveness. We receive forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all these dark things. Now, of, of all the dark things that Jesus can cleanse us from, um, I think there's one that's the hardest of all. Now, there are many sins that may beset your heart and my heart. Some of us really struggle with habits and hurts and hang-ups, addictions that, that, that we, would, we would escape if we could, but we can't, not on our own power. Jesus does that for us. That's the promise here. But of, of all the things I think that are so hard to lose, it's just the guilt the, the guilt of sin, that, that knowledge that I have sinned and, and that awareness that I can't do anything to fix it on my own. It's guilt that uh, is so difficult to bear. And some of you have been walking with guilt, walking under this cloud of guilt for years. And, and you're a believer, but you don't know how to get past it. Now, other people, and, and I say this, I think increasingly in our culture, increasingly in the world in which we live, people don't seem to feel guilty anymore. Like maybe that's something for your grandma in, in her day. But in our culture, there's less and less talk about guilt because honestly, there's less and less talk about sin. 
In our day and age, nobody sins, and, and you're actually not allowed to point out sin, not in your life or anybody else's. That's considered hate speech if you want to talk about sin. But if we can't talk about sin, we can't talk about forgiveness, and that means everybody's condemned. We have to find the vocabulary of sin so that we can find the vocabulary of forgiveness. It's the only way to preach the gospel. We have to be honest about our sin. But most people that you know are not honest about sin. They don't call it sin, and you better not call it sin. I mean, in our day and age, people who sin want to parade. You know, we take pride in the things that we should be actually feeling shame over. It's very difficult to get people these days to admit any kind of guilt about sin. But just because you don't admit it, just because you say you don't even feel it, that doesn't mean your sin's not real. And it doesn't mean the guilt isn't at work inside your heart. Just because you don't feel like you need to be saved, it does not mean you don't need a Savior. Let's talk a minute about, about guilt and how it works in our lives. Again, you may say, Pastor Tim, I'm not guilty, and don't you try to guilt me. I ain't going to try to guilt you, but can we talk about how guilt works, whether you know it? Or call it guilt or not. I'd start, I'd start with this. Guilt destroys your confidence. Guilt destroys confidence. By, by, by this, I know it sounds strange. By confidence, I mean um, as a sinner and until you receive forgiveness from, from Christ, um, you're always going to be insecure in, in life. Insecure in relationships. It destroys your confidence. And, and I think it has to do with the fact that for most of us and most of our sinning, is secret. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes I sin so big and obviously like I, you know, everybody just saw me do that. But most of the time I'm pretty good at hiding it. I don't, I don't like, you know, turn on the light and sin right in front of y'all, you know. And you don't either. We hide it. And, and that's kind of what makes church a, a place that's difficult for people who can't hide their sin because we're so very good at hiding it. We make church a place to come and hide, but not a place to come and heal. And the people most broken by sin and guilt don't find the church offering any hope. Understand? Because for us, we just hide it all. We keep our sin a secret. And I do this. Most of us do this. And, and, and it's out of just that desire... I want people to think of me as a good person. I want people to think of me as a worthy pastor. I want my wife to think of me as a good husband. I, I want to massage this image that other people have of me. And I know that my sin is a contradiction of all of that. If people could see me as I am, and, and this is what's inside all of our hearts, you know, getting well, if people really knew what you do, if people really know what you think, if people really knew the person you are when nobody's around, you know good and well you wouldn't have a friend in the world. And so we just learned how to keep it all secret, right? Got men in the sound of my voice right now? Like every time you shut off, the, every time you close your laptop, you have to stop and remember to clear all your tracks because you can't let anybody see what you've been looking at for the last hour and a half online. Nobody can know about your pornography, right? And, and you know if your wife saw what you look at, she'd leave you. And so this is the way sin works, and, and it's the way that, that, that the real power of sin in our lives is often connected to the secrecy. It's, it's the secret that gives sin its power, but you and I are not willing you know, to give up that secrecy. We don't want people to know what we do. We don't want people to know what we're like. 
But understand that, that that secrecy, that secret that you work so hard to protect, that secret that you're determined to hide, that secret that, that you're most determined to, to conceal, I'm telling you, if you would be willing to finally, once and for all, just confess, that same secret would probably be the one that would bring the most healing to your life. That secret that you're so determined, that sin that you're so focused on hiding, if you would only be honest. You see, once the secrecy is broken, then the power of sin is gone. This is why confession is so important. That word confess, if you break it down into its roots, it just simply means to say with, to say with, which means to agree. It just means to come out in the open and say along with Jesus that your sin is what it is and quit trying to call it something else. Guilt destroys your confidence because... Uh, because you have to work so hard to maintain that double life, you know. The friends at school and the friends at church. The way, as I said, you walk in the church door, you're a different person. Your family's like, what? You know. It's a lot of work to maintain all of that, and guilt destroys your confidence. Number two, guilt keeps you stuck in the past. You know, uh, your sin is in the past. I mean, you're probably going to do one here in a minute, but it's, you know, then that's going to be in the past too. And, and because of that, we become consumed with that, with the regret. I know we don't always admit it. Most of us don't really admit that we're ever wrong. As, as I said earlier, I mean, when's the last time you apologized to anybody? Like a, just basic apologizing isn't part of your life. So how can you say that you're aware of like when you do wrong? Because well, aren't we doing something wrong all the time? Aren't we constantly breaking promises or offending people I mean and so if you're like me sometimes I just become sort of obsessed with what I said and I wish I hadn't said it and and you can't take that back once you've done what you've done and once the damage is done you can't undo that you can wish for the world that it didn't happen but it happened and you made it happen you're responsible for that and that regret that guilt can really destroy your life and some of you live under that dark cloud how many times you've been divorced now and, and, and you just live with that guilt? You know, just that wonder, you know, can I, can, I, can I even ever deserve to be happy? Because you know that you played a part in all of that. In every one of those marriages, you were there. People don't forget, people don't forgive, and sometimes they're quick to remind you of all the ways in which you've failed. I'm telling you, guilt just keeps you stuck in the past. It will not release its hold upon you the regret, uh, the absolute guilt that just overwhelms. Guilt will never let you move forward, but it will rob all of the pleasure you could have in the present. I mean, guilt will destroy you, keep you stuck. The, the last thing I would say is it, it damages relationships. I, I like the way John, in this opening, uses that word fellowship so often. And when I study and I see a word that I, obviously is a key word, I start circling it. So I've circled it every time that he uses it in the passage I just read. I see it there in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. You understand fellowship, that's a relational word. We're talking about relationship here. 
The word fellowship just means, you know, sharing, deep sharing, to have something in common. It's a relational word. Verse 6, so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God and go on walking in darkness. Verse 7, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. That's kind of surprising to me. I thought he'd say, we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with Christ. But he says, you know, you know, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. Do you understand how your sin damages relationships? It's the guilt of your sin in many ways because, as I say, you're trying to, you know, trying to manage the lies you've told and the secrets you're trying to conceal. And, and you're one way with the people at work and one way with the people at church and one way at home and one way out with the guys. And, and that's sort of exhausting. And that guilt will get to you. Most marriage problems, they say, are related to guilt. Men who have horrible habits of pornography find it very difficult to actually share intimacy with their wife because of the guilt. See, guilt destroys relationships. You may not even be aware of it, but the way in which you're just always angry, you respond in anger with the person you're not actually mad at, or the way in which you, you indulge people, like you always say yes because you need people to like you and, and to love you, and the way you just are, are overindulgent with people, all of these things are symptoms of your guilt. That desire to have people love you, to have people approve of you, to have people like you, it just shows that you've yet to find that acceptance, that unconditional love in the only one who can offer you that, and that's the Lord. Guilt damages relationships, it destroys your relationships. And so in that way, understand, confession is actually a repair of a relationship. Your relationship with God, most importantly, you don't sin anonymously. Sin is always personal. You say, Pastor Tim, uh, I sin, but nobody gets hurt. I don't ever hurt anybody. Yeah, I don't think there's any such thing as a victimless sin. And I think you need to understand that even if you say, I, I didn't hurt a soul on earth, it's like the psalmist says to God, he says, my sin is always before you. It's against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. You, you sin against God. That's the relationship. Your relationship with God is the most important. It's the prior relationship. And if your relationship with God is broken, I want to tell you that's the reason why all of your other relationships fall apart. This is the relationship that is key, your relationship with God. And confession is the only way to maintain the, the purity of that relationship. You say, well, Pastor Tim, you make it sound like i got to be confessing sins every day. I thought Jesus died on the cross and forgave all of my sins. He did. He did. Jesus died on the cross once and for all to forgive uh, the sins of the whole world. John says he is himself the atoning sacrifice for all the sins of the world. Absolutely. He died for all of your sins before you were even born. He forgave all of your sins. But you got to understand, there's also a relationship here. And when you sin, that sin blocks the relationship. You know, some of you say, Pastor Tim, I've just been struggling. I, I don't feel close to God. I, I don't feel close to the church. I don't know what to do. And I, I'm saying, maybe right here, if the relationship with God seems somewhat distant, then confession of sin is the way back. This is the way to repair the relationship. If there's sin in your life, you need to confess that. And I'm telling you, it's not just a one-time thing. Like you confess your sins to Jesus one time when you're 11, and then you're good for, you know, then you can just know that you'll die and go to heaven. Even if you live like hell. 
That's what you tell yourself. You know, Jesus forgave my sins, but that's not how this works. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, understand, if if we sin, we have to confess our sin. Pastor Tim, you telling me I got to confess every single day? Well, does that sound like too much for you? All right, I'll make a deal with you. How about you only have to confess your sins on the days that you actually sin? How about you just confess on the days where you actually sin? It's a repair of a relationship, you all. Christian lady told me that for her, confessing sin felt like sweeping the house. Now, Casey and I, we, we swept our house and we moved in. <laughs> 20 years ago. We swept it good. We swept that thing. But then, you know, we, you know, have a dog. We've had dog, we've had golden retrievers in the house. You know, they shed, you know, as a full-time job. Dog hair. We live in the country. You open the door, leaves blow in. And now Casey's got one of those robotic vacuum cleaners called a Roomba. Y'all seen Roombas? Man, that thing is awesome. It just scoots around the house. It's an automatic vacuum. Like, you know, it's just really cool because we don't have to do anything. It, it vacuums for us. You know? But the thing is, you know, that, thing's, that thing runs around our house all the time, but our, our floor stays dirty. I can't really explain to you how and why. It's just that no matter how many times you sweep your floor, it all comes back. The dust comes back. The dirt comes back. It's just a way of life. You just have to always be sweeping the floor if you intend to live in a clean house. And if you want to keep your heart clean before the Lord, you just must recognize that confession of sin is going to be a more than daily thing. Sweep that. I don't know how the dark things come back. I don't know how the dust comes back. I I don't intend for it to. I want to follow Jesus. I want to walk with him. But somehow there's still darkness in me where there ought to be light, you know? No matter my intention. Craig Rochelle is, uh, I love him. He's a really good pastor in in, uh, Oklahoma, Life Church in Oklahoma. Pastor Craig tells a story about when he went to a yard sale one day. His wife had been after him to buy a particular stroller. This was a while ago. It was on sale at Target at the time for $79.99, which sounds cheap to me now, probably twice that. But anyway, it was $79.99 when Pastor Craig was, uh, was telling the story. Got to the yard sale, though, and he saw that very stroller. He saw the stroller that they wanted at Target, and it was like brand new. It was at the yard sale, and it had a price on it for $40, which is like half price. That's half price. So Pastor Craig's like, you know, hot dog. And so, but it's a yard sale. So you know the price on the thing is not the price. It's a yard sale, you know. So he went up to the lady and said, hey, how much for the stroller out there by the front table? And she said, well, it's marked, it's marked um, $40. That's, it's half price. I mean, she knew it too. It's half price. He said, yeah, but would you take 15 She said, no. No. It's a very good deal. It's 79, I mean, she knew. It's 79.99 at Target. You know, that, that, that's half price. I think that's a really, really good price for that. So no, not taking 15. He said, yeah, but I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor, and I got six kids. She said, well, I think $40 is a really good price for pastors. 
with six kids. And he said, no, um, would you take 20? Would you take 20? He said, I'm a pastor. I got six kids. And the only, the only bill, the only thing I have in my wallet is a $20 bill. All I got on me is a $20 bill. Would you take 20? She said, okay, since you're a pastor and you got six kids, and since the only bill in your wallet is a $20 bill, I'll take 20. Pastor Craig, you know, pulled out his wallet, opened it, and all he had was a hundred. All he had was a $100 bill. And he said at that moment, he should have bought that stroller at Target for $79.99 because it cost him a whole lot more at that yard sale. He got it for 20 but he lost integrity, lost his reputation, bragging about being a pastor. Craig Groeschel's a good man. He's an honest man. I don't know if he meant to lie. I don't always mean to lie. I, I could, the reason that story means something to me is I could do that, y'all. And, and honestly, I don't ever know what's in my wallet. Now, Casey does. My wife does. Casey knows, like, call, somebody call her right now, ask her how much money has Tim got. She will tell you she knows. I don't have any idea. I promise you it's never, she will never give me a $100 bill. I will never see a $100 bill. But I'm the kind of guy that would go, I, you know, all I got's a 10. Because probably last time I looked at my wallet, that's all I, I think the last time I looked at my wallet, all I had was a five, to be honest. I think all I have is a five, maybe. Um, but it's just the point, you know, we, we fall short. We prove ourselves liars on days when we didn't really mean to even tell a lie, but it's just the way that the sin just keeps coming back for me, you know. And I want to walk in the light as he is in the light, but somehow there continues to be darkness in me where there should be light. I think that's why this promise this morning is just so amazing. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He forgives as many times as I keep coming back saying, Jesus, forgive me. I mean, sometimes I'm thinking how, you know, I've, I have prayed for forgiveness for the same sins, you know, over and over and over. But you understand, he still forgives me. It's this infinite fountain of mercy and grace. He continues to forgive me. He continues to allow me to walk in the light as he is in the light. There's no darkness at all in him. And he makes me able to walk in the light with him. Do you understand? This amazing grace, this amazing gift. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. You can be forgiven. You can know forgiveness. Now, it starts with honesty. You've got to at least be willing to admit your sin. And until you say it out loud, you're going to carry the guilt, and it's going to wreck you in all kinds of ways, whether you know that's what it's coming from or not. Sin will destroy. Sin always leads to death. And there are things dying in your life right now because of your sin. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's never meant to be that way. God wants you to know forgiveness. He wanted you to know forgiveness so desperately that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. So that the price for your sins could be paid by another. And that means you get to walk free. You get to know forgiveness. You get to walk in the light when, honestly, there's nothing ever been in you but darkness. Jesus changes everything. It starts with confession. It starts with repentance. It 
begins with this amazing gift of forgiveness. It's a free gift for all who want it, for all who ask for it. But the only way to ask for forgiveness is to confess your sin. So maybe you've been carrying guilt for years or maybe it's just beginning now to take hold that the sin, the habits that you just don't feel able to break, understand that power isn't in you. It is in Jesus who promises if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you understand? You confess your sin, you will be forgiven, and you can walk free. But you got to confess. Be honest with God. Pray with me.